Welcome to the Fit Girl Magic Podcast. If you are ready to find your inner magic, develop great habits, and a rock steady mindset to feel confident, comfortable, and fit in your body, you are in the right place. I am Kim Barnes Jefferson, and I'll be giving you weekly doses of health, fitness, and life tips sprinkled with humor and real talk. If you're ready to be consistent without the stress of perfection, magic makers, it's time to slip into your favorite pair of PJs, grab some coffee, kick back, and listen to today's show. Hey, Magic Makers. Today, I had a great opportunity to talk to Miss Mary Ann LaRusso. She's the creator of the More Beautiful Project. And I found her on Instagram and she is starting the conversation about how midlife doesn't look like what our parents did, what our grandparents did. And she found a hole in the market to say, you know, how do we want it to look like? And I really wanted to have her on the show is because she, uh, in her early 20s, she cut her teeth at some of the most uh, popular women's magazines that we have all read or heard of back in the day. And I really wanted to get her take on, I really wanted to get her take on how, what we learned in the 90s about diet culture, about size, about, you know, diets in general, how has that permeated into what we are today? Has that transformed the way we think about weight loss, the way we think about body shape, the way we think about image, and how it's kind of made this, you know, change forward? Or has it really made that much of a change forward based on how we are today, you know? And it's been, it was such a great conversation. We took a a little bit of a journey down memory lane, some of the past commercials that we were indoctrinated into that women can do it all, women can have it all, or we just threw it away and we took a bath. So I'd love for you to have a listen and let me know how you're feeling when it comes to diet culture. Do you feel like you're stuck in diet culture or do you feel like, you know, you're embracing this new age that you're in and starting to break free of some of the stereotypes that we grew up thinking that we had to be? So ladies, I'd love for you to take a listen to today's show and just give me some feedback. You know, do you feel that we've evolved from this diet culture place or do you still feel like we got a little more work to do? Enjoy the show. All right, ladies, I have another great iTunes review of the week. This one is brought to you by Mojo on the Island. And it reads, I am almost 60 years old and have spent probably 50 years worrying about my weight. I just listened to one of Kim's podcasts and loved her advice and outlook. I wish I could have heard this years ago, but looking forward to listening to more and changing my attitude. Oh, Moy on the Island. This is exactly why I do this podcast, because so many of us have been wrapped around the axle about diet and exercise for decades, and we are done. We are sick of it, and I am so grateful that you are able to find me, and I am grateful that I'm able to help you shift your mindset around what diet and exercise looks like for the the next best half of your life. So if you have listened to this podcast and you love what you are hearing, please do the same thing. Leave me a a review. I absolutely love hearing them. I love reading them. And it just gives me that pat on the back that I am giving you what you need to hear. 
Now, if you're stuck with like, I don't know how to do this, I don't listen to iTunes, do me a favor, hit me up. I will definitely help you walk you through how you how to leave that review. So you can find me on Instagram at uh, Kim Jefferson Coach, or you can shoot me an email, hello at kimbarnesjefferson.com. All right, now on to today's episode. Magic Makers, today is going to be a really interesting conversation. I found Marianne on Instagram and I just really loved her vibe. She has a a podcast and a movement called uh, The More Beautiful Project. And I just love the just the more beautiful is this like kind of more beautiful dot, 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 right? You can fill in whatever that hell that means for you. And I just was like went down the rabbit hole of all of her information, you know, binged her podcast. And tonight I really wanted to have her on the show because she sort of worked in the industry, a magazine industry back in the 90s when that was like, you know, the 90s was the pinnacle of magazines and newspapers. And they pretty much told us like how we should feel about our bodies, how we should look, what what diet should I follow, you know? Hey, Magic Makers, are you ready to enjoy your favorite cocktails without ruining your weight loss goals? Well, I have the perfect guide for you. It's the Guilt-Free Alcohol Guide, and I've created it to help teach you how to indulge in your favorite drinks while still maintaining your health goals. You'll be able to follow this guide and stick with your goals without giving up the things that make life worth living. With this guide, you'll be able to indulge in all of your favorite drinks guilt-free. You'll learn which cocktails are best for you and how to make them without sacrificing your goals, indulge in a drink or two and still reach your weight loss goals. And it's possible by using this guide. So in my bio, make sure you download the guilt-free alcohol guide. It's free and it helps women over 40 like you who want to enjoy their cocktails while still reaching their fitness goals. Enjoy, my friends. I don't know about you, but I remember every five minutes there was the cabbage diet and the carrot diet and this diet. And, (laughs) you know, Marianne has come out of that industry. And we're going to talk about like how that industry really shaped the women in our 40s and beyond and how it's so different now for women in their 20s because we've been told to embrace it all versus conform. And I really wanted to have this conversation because I love the themes that she's brought up because it's all the craziness we grew up with, we cut our teeth on. So Mary Ann, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here, Cam. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, and so, you know, the one thing I said when I first reached out to Mary Ann, I said, you know, I really love all of your content, but the one thing that triggers me and I is the word <laughs> midlife. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, am I midlife? I'm like, is this something <laughs> I have to get over? So what made you choose, like when you use, when you talk about in your more beautiful project, what makes you use the word midlife? I'm so glad you asked that question because that is a controversial word. When I was beginning the project, I remember I was showing, uh, you know, my branding to some friends and a few of them, especially the ones a little bit younger than me, like in their mid forties or early forties were like, Marianne, I don't know about this word midlife. Like they weren't ready to say they were in midlife. Now, when we were growing up, midlife was kind of considered anything over 35, right? And right. You that were, threshold is slowly going up. You were like near death if you were knocking on 40. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. But um, 
to be really honest, for lack of a better word, I used it because there is no other word. I even did a post on the, I call them the M words, like how all these M words like are the new scarlet letter for women. You know, it used to be like A for adultery. Now it's like M for menopause, midlife. Like these are somehow dirty words. So I decided that we need to take back those words. Mm. We need to reframe them. We need to make them into something more interesting, more vibrant, more beautiful because they're not, midlife doesn't have to mean, and, and quite frankly, if I'm in my midlife, life right now, the middle of my life, I'm thrilled. Like, I don't want to be at the end of my life. I want to be smack in the middle of my life, the sweet spot. So um, we have to get over that, you know, and I think, sure, if somebody wants to invent a better word, I'm all for it. I just haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> and it's funny because it's like, like, like you said, I was like, well, what would the other word be? And I'm like, I don't know what that other word would be. Cause like, right. there, cause if I think about like in, if in like that midlife, it's like, I would say it's that forties to 60 ish. Mm-hmm. range that you know is being redefined by us right now you yeah. know it's like if you think about what our parents did in their 40s compared to what we're doing in our 40s it's vastly different mm-hmm. it's so different it's so true um I don't know if I mentioned this to you when we chatted last time but I was watching an old movie which is one of my mom's favorite movies based on I think a Neil Simon played at Jane Fonda and Robert Redford it was um Barefoot in the Park oh yeah 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 yeah. And there was a scene where they're in this like really high walk up in New York and her mother has to come visit them. And this woman looks like she looks like the little the lady from Harry and the Dirty Dog, you know, like in her little scarf and her and her coat and the gray hair and the little hat. And she's huffing and puffing her way up the stairs. She looks like she's going to have a cardiac arrest. And she finally makes it and she plops down on the chair and Redford and Fonda come out and Fonda says, we cannot let my 52 year old mother walk up these stairs. And I was like, that was 52. Right. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that because you look back at like, um, I can't remember the movie, but it was like some woman was in her forties. And at the time she was considered like old. Yeah. And I remember, um, do you remember the movie um, first wise club? It had, Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. It was great. Right. So for those of you guys who don't, it had Goldie Hawn, um, Bette Midler, and somebody else I can't remember. And I remember Diane Keaton. And they were talking about how old they were and that she was being replaced. And at the Mm -hmm. time, you were just like, oh my God. Like, that is just, it just seemed like they were in their like mid 40s and she was being upgraded. And I'm like, that just seemed like a, like a, they were so old. And then uh, Goldie Hawn was an actress and she was, in her forties. And she, the only role she could ever get was being um, either a a, a mother or a grandmother. Right. I remember that. And she was besides herself. (laughs) And like, she was like, I need more. more." Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that movie started out with a friend of this group of women, a friend of theirs who was played by Stalker Channing committing suicide, jumping off a building because she felt she was old. Her husband had left her. It's like we were just depicted as such desperate creatures if if we're in our mid years. Right. And, you know, or your husband was going to leave you if you didn't, you know, work out or get the Botox or dye your hair or whatever it is. And now I feel like, you know, it's now kind of this like gray revolution. You know, you see so many more. Before, if you look at a star, the only star I could ever think of that always had gray hair was Jamie Lee Curtis. She was the only person I yes. ever saw as an actress that had gray hair. And you're like, good for her. And now I feel like, it's, you know, I don't know who was like, you know what? I'm sick of sitting in that salon for five hours. 
I know. I'm getting sick of it myself. <laughs> I, 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 like I struggle. I'm like, I, I go back and forth. Yeah. I keep, I said I was going to make it to 50 and then, and then let it grow out. And then now I'm like, okay, 60. So right. <laughs> we'll see what happens. The goal post keeps pushing forward. So, mm-hmm. so back in the day when you were working at these magazines, you know, were you just so like, I was assigned this story and I'm writing this story or were you just, as you're writing the story, you're like, are we just sending women the wrong signal? It, you know, I have to really think about it because I started, you know, very young. I was, I graduated from journalism school in 91 and had my first magazine. I first worked in newspapers as like a beat reporter. And then I had my first magazine job in the fashion industry um, when I was about 23, 24. And I stayed in it for about a dozen years. And I was so young, right? So I don't think I noticed as much as I would have, you know, being a little bit older. Like if you started but then, now. You know, yeah, like now, or even like as a 30-year-old, I mean, in my right. 20s, I mean, how could I, the, my only experience with older women in their viewpoints on the whole thing was, you know, we had a few women in the office at the time at my first job who were probably around 39, 40, maybe, maybe 42. And I remember us younger, the young women in their 20s would be like, what are they still doing here? And why do we want to be here? So we were ages, we were freaking ages. And then I remember like the models would come in and we were starting to make progress with diversity diversity. Um, but there was still no age diversity. Like there was, you know, everybody was like 16 or 18. It was nuts. And, um, so the, it was a youth obsessed culture for sure. Mm. Um, the whole heroin chic thing, the Kate Moss thing happening at the same time. And that was another very unhealthy kind of viewpoint that you had to be skinny. You had to fit into these crazy narrow clothes, couldn't have hips, couldn't have boobs. I mean, it was such an unhealthy image and that I understood as being kind of wrong, even at the time. And I remember like there was a line or two of clothing for quote plus size women coming out at that time. And I thought, okay, this is a start, but it's nowhere near where it has to be, you know, slow change was very, very slow. And I think back to our generation, how we were bombarded with those images, you know, even at a younger age, right. We were teenagers getting like 17 magazine, Mademoiselle, all those magazines that I used to like just devour you know, they had these young, skinny, white models on the cover. And it was so, so unhealthy that it was just too limited, too biased, and just made us feel so <laughs> inadequate in so many ways. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you say inadequate, because I think even now, you know, we're fast forward 30 years later, and I still feel women are still thinking to themselves, all the headlines that you pulled off of those magazines that I should be losing mm-hmm. one to two pounds a day. Um, yep. If, if celebrity, you know, think now, like we talked about it in our pre-call, like celebrity X is taking Ozempic, then maybe I should talk, start thinking about Ozempic. And the media just hops on like one piece of research and just can bastardize it so that everyone feels like, wait, hang on, should I be doing that? Should I, should I not be doing that? And you just get so round around the axle. You don't even know what to, which end is up anymore. Yeah. But, you know, by embracing those sensationalized headlines and headlines that prey upon women's insecurities and fears, the media has really done itself in. Because I used to think about this in maybe like 20 years ago when we were starting to like replace real journalism with talking heads and pundits. Mm. 
you know, all this like round the clock journalism. And I said to myself, oh God, this is going to be just, this is going to backfire big time because now you're going to have everybody and their brother saying they're journalists and hopping on this bandwagon. And now there's really no, there's no expertise in anything, right? So there's no... And it's even more confusing because you don't know where all the information is coming from. So you're being bombarded, like you said, with these, 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 this negativity or this fear mongering, but you don't know like who's writing it. Are they real experts? What do they know? And what, you know, it's, it's really confusing. Yeah, And it's really tough because you're absolutely right. Because, you know, back when you went to journalism school, they taught you how to piece together a story so that even if you threw in a piece of your opinion, there were more facts in your opinion. Oh my God, my journals, I went to Northwestern Medill School of Journalism and we had this copy editing class that was at night. It was four hours, three three hours long, I think. Oh goodness. And they would give us stories, like rough drafts of stories. And, but this is before the internet. So we were like, they were like, fact check this, make sure there's not a single fact in here that's inaccurate. Right. We'd actually have to take addresses and look them up on a map to make sure the neighborhood we were referring to is exactly the right neighborhood. We fact check names and ages and dates, and there can never be a one-sided story. You always, even if you disagreed so adamantly, you had to get the other side, you know? Right. And and accuracy was of all, it was paramount importance, you know? And it just breaks my heart now to see what's going on in journalism. And I don't even know how they're teaching it because the whole field is now just almost like a stigmatized because of all the bad journalism, the fake news, the the idiots, quite frankly, who say they're journalists. And I'm 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 scared for the future of journalism. <laughs> I really no, you're you're absolutely you're absolutely right. Cause you're, you know, if I think about how we were taught to write, you know, you were taught to write like you could talk about your opinion, but it had to be very clear that this was my opinion. Like it wasn't exactly. like well, we didn't know real journalists couldn't give their opinions at all. Right. So not only we everything had to be a fact or a quote. You had if it was something that you that was an opinion kind of a statement, it had to be in quotes and attributed to someone. Even, right. And it was really rare that you were able to use an anonymous source. Even an anonymous source had to be backed up by another source. So um that was number one. And, you know, you really, really, really had to, you couldn't inject your opinion and you couldn't take any free gifts. I remember if I went to interview someone, I couldn't even let them buy me a cup of coffee. I had to accept uh, everything. I couldn't be bribed. So yeah. that's why it cracks me up when I see these people out there online calling themselves journalists and they're getting free product. No, no, no. That is not journalism. Yeah. You don't get anything for free if you're a journalist. You're not supposed to. Right. No, and and you're you're absolutely right that, you know, I don't know when that shift happened, that what became, you know, who, what, where, when and how became, well, I'll talk about the who, but everything else is what I think about the who. Yeah. It's when people started just wanting to get their own beliefs mirrored back at them. And, and, and when the news outlets decided that they were going to make the ratings were going to go up, if they appealed to extremist points of view and um, you know, and then it became so divided and now look where we are as a country. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And it, you know, we, we can look at where we are as a country, but we also can look at where we are health wise is that, Mm -hmm. you know, as, as you mentioned, if a new drug came out and you would have to say, okay, I'm going to have to listen to side A and have to listen to side B and yeah. come up with the story so that if I'm reading it, I'm educated. Versus if I read it from one outlet who's all for it, I'm like, yeah, this is what I need to take. And if I read right. it from another outlet who's against it, I'm like almost scared <laughs> that 
I'm going to yes. die. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. Um, you mentioned Azembic. And I also was just thinking right now of people posting about um, HRT, hormone replacement therapy, right. whether or not that it's benefits, it benefits or in- increases the chances of dementia. So people are kind of reporting on this without giving both sides and revealing all the studies. They're just posting one study at a time. Right. So you read it and you go, holy crap, you know, like you don't know what to believe. And you kind of have to be your own scientist, your own journalist, your own curator of the news to figure anything out these days. Right. right. And I, I remember we talked earlier and you were like, you know, I was trying to figure something out. And so she, you're like, I had to go back to like my journalistic roots and pretty, pretty much write your own term paper. Yeah, <laughs> to, to figure out like you know what is true opinion, what is middle of the road, and what is just pure and utter bullshit. Yeah, I think you're talking about um, the. St- I was trying to figure out how to work out in midlife as my hormones were changing, and I kept googling like work, you know, diet and exercise after forty, diet and exercise after fifty, and everybody would give different advice or it'd be the same cut and pasted story, you know, with the same basic information but nobody was really getting into the heart of it. And I, I just decided I'm going to just research this, take a deep dive and write my own story and stuff on my website. But I also think the other problem besides the lack of reporting was the lack of um, real research that really has been done on women over 40. You know, a lot of research studies have medical studies stopped with people over at 39. They stop. And it's so crazy because I, um, I was recently finishing up a course on hormones and the reason why they, this, this is what white foot medicine says. They said they stopped researching a woman 40 plus because at that point, most women are starting some form of perimenopause and because our hormones are so wildly different they're they were afraid they couldn't get a, um, a good, uh, test base. And so it's like, part of you says, you know, I kind of, I see that part of me says, says that the other part of me is like, so, you know, all this stuff about us, there's no way that you could test a person before they got into the study. So that you found a subset that are in the same, um, menstrual cycle. You couldn't find someone who was, had, you know, roughly whatever the statistical deviation of hormones that could be in a study. You couldn't find any, any of that. Right. I don't know, because I mean, do they not test women who are pregnant or, I mean, women also go through a lot of hormonal fluctuations prior to. Right. Uh, so I was like, I'm like, there's, you know, for me, I'm like, that doesn't hold any water because like before 39, there are so many other factors that could be going on too as well versus, oh, after 40, we just kind of like, you just do you. And so what if our hormones are, but that's the way 50% of the population is. We have fluctuating hormones. So you're not going to study them just because they're happening. <laughs> it's like, I know. So it's, it, it was, right? it's, you know, it's kind of seems like, you know, when your, your parents said, um, uh, what was that? Um, just trust me or like, you know, or don't ask any questions. Like that just seems like that, like pat answer that you're just like, that makes no sense. So, yeah, I think we were just too busy figuring out how men could get erections until the day they die. Then we were working on things like female contraception and good HRT and all that stuff. That's what I think. Yeah, because that was going to move. That was going to really move the needle forward for the world. <laughs> so, as, <laughs> so as you were kind of walk, walking through this and kind of like hindsight being 2020, you know, how do you see that, you know, 
most women are seeing their body image, right? Are we still caught, especially as our midlife, are we still caught in that 90s body image where we feel like there's a certain aesthetic that, you know, I need to look a certain way versus embracing where we are? That is a great question, Kim, because I think we all like to say that we're not doing that anymore. But I think there's just a lot of stuff that is hard to get out of your head. Oh, God. Yeah. Right. When you've grown up with with these notions and um, it's ingrained in you like that, I think it's really tough sometimes. And I think we're slowly starting to um, unravel it and realize what that pop, what that culture did to us. Um, you and I were talking about our mom's generation, how they were like the diet pill generation, mm-hmm. right? How And I told you a story about how when I was like two years old, I saw my mom put her a little, she had these diet pills given to her by her doctor and she put them in her top drawer of her dresser. And I climbed in and I and no sit child safety cap. I of took course. off and I got in, I was in an ambulance. Thank God I threw up all over the, uh, <laughs> the paramedic didn't have to get my stomach pumped, but you know, we grew up with that. So I I mean, I am very aware because I'm writing about this constantly, as I'm sure you, and you're a coach, right? You you write right. about this too and you coach people. So you're aware, but I think it's really hard. Um, I think our job really, we're kind of like this transition generation. And yes. I think our job is to pass the buck onto our kid, our daughters, our kids, and make them like I never step on the scale in front of my daughter. Mm. I tell her she's beautiful. I don't look, I don't ask her anything about her weight. I ask her how she's feeling. I ask her, energy. you know, I, I focus on how she's feeling and not looking. Yeah. You know, because so many of us grew up with these moms, mine wasn't like this actually. I mean, she had the diet pills, but she never, she never critiqued my looks at all ever. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, she was kind of innately aware, but I know I have friends whose mothers were the type that would go, you know, put a little lipstick on, or you look so pale or gain some weight. Yeah, no, and you're right, because that was what, you know, women did, you know, we had to like put on lipstick and put on makeup and look a certain way in order to whatever it was, (laughs) the aesthetic that we were supposed to um, achieve. And I feel like now a lot of women, because they are like so messed up, they're like, I can't put this on my kid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, I, I really hope that's the case. Um, and, you know, the fact that we're this transition generation, I think it, it applies to a lot of things, not just the 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 body image. I think it pertains to, I mean, we have like one foot in the old world. When I say old world, I mean like pre-internet oh, yeah. and we have one foot in the new world. So we're really the first generation that's getting this information as that's readily ex- available to us. So it's a lot of responsibility, right? That we're having, like having to undo all of this damage now and make sure we set the tone for the next generation. And, you know, like I, I read a lot like uh, millennials and Gen Z complaining that we were this and we were that and, and, and Gen X didn't teach us this. And, and I'm like, give us a break. The boomers came before us. They didn't do anything. They didn't mentor us. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, no, no. With what we got baby you know <laughs> we rode bikes without helmets so there's that <laughs> so leave us alone we rode in cars without safety belts <laughs> oh i remember i remember like sitting in the front seat i i think i was like six and like, there was never like shock and awe that you're a six-year-old sitting in the front seat right right it's amazing we're still alive actually <laughs> there's a woman that i follow on uh tiktok and 
she's like, you can only get into Gen Z. And she like has like every day she comes with a new list. And one of the lists was like all of the like games that we played as kids that yeah. like if you thought now you're like, who thought this was a good idea? Remember those lawn darts? Yeah, you, I do. You threw up in the air. <laughs> like who thought yep. that was a, a good idea? <laughs> so yeah so we survived those so yeah sorry millennials and everyone who's come past us we're learning a lot and but I also feel like you know back in the 90s there weren't a lot of places you could get research right you know we didn't have the internet so if I I can only hear it on the news or in the newspaper but now if you you know or party and now if you tell me hey Kim you know eggs are bad for you and I'm like are they I could go home and Google it. <laughs> right. You can check it. Fact check. <laughs> I could I could be my own fact checker versus like feeling like, you know, that doesn't sound right. And be mm-hmm. able to go out and look at it where back then it was kind of like, you know, you only got like whatever the headline was on the newsstand. And you right. kind of like, if you decided you want to pick up the magazine, you did. If not, you're like, oh, eggs are bad. And you went on about your life. Yeah. And there was a lot of misinformation. Do you remember like all those sugar studies where the sugar industry kind of paid everybody off? And my father had heart disease. And I remember his doctor saying like, oh, sugar's fine. Just don't eat eggs or fit or shellfish. And now we know eggs are okay. And a little bit of shellfish is not going to hurt you, but the sugar is what's going to kill you. And, you know, I wish there had been like a, a lawsuit I could have filed, you know, like, because my, I think the sugar killed my dad. He loved sugar and he had a massive heart attack at age 46 and he died. So, um, a lot of misinformation that you're right. We could not fact check, um, And it's really sad looking back. And our generation had a lot of extras to deal with too. Like we were, we came of age during like um, HIV AIDS. uh, We were scared. People scared us to death. And yet we couldn't like go for information. We were totally scared of everything. Right. It was like, you know, like drugs, like, you know, I I remember the drug, buying the egg. Like, so like drugs, you even looked at drugs, but they were going to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember that commercial? This is your brain on drugs. Yes. And they threw the egg in the frying pan and, and just, yeah. Uh, we were all like, you know, our marketing was all scare tactics that it was just like, mm-hmm. you know, every single thing you did was going to kill you. So don't even look at it. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right that in our generation, we were like, you never, like I said, I couldn't fact check. And so like now all the, evidence is coming out that like the sugar industry bribes a million people to like not you know really take an in-depth look at what sugar does or even you know remember the whole uh the got milk thing and it was because people were starting to move away from milk and they're like how Mm -hmm. do we how do we start to get more money back in our pocket so i'm gonna pay celebrities to put a milk mustache on and then we had oprah take on the beef industry which i love (laughs) <laughs> and, it, and it's like, and it's funny because it's like, she's Oprah, but o- Oprah said an offhanded comment and it, who like in her mind, she's like, right. are you freaking kidding me? It's ridiculous. Like, ridiculous. Yeah. That it took, like I said, an offhanded comment and like, it just turned into whatever it turned into. Um, but it sh- also shows you the power of celebrity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> We, we had so many things going on in our generation. We also think about all the plastics, right? Because plastic oh, was after the turn of the century, but it really, I think of the graduate, the movie, when they're talking about plastics, like that's in the 60s when plastics really started becoming, you know, just ubiquitous, right? Everywhere. And we grew up with plastic 
containers and bottles and pacifiers and sippy cups. And I mean, the, remember the TV dinners and all the plastic wrappings and food and we had fast food and we had soda everywhere. So I really think we did get the brunt of the unhealthy eating and all of that processed food. And so that's another thing I feel like we're dealing with now. I have so many friends in their fifties who are getting sick because of, I think, I think that has something to do with it. I really, that's just my personal opinion, but I do. No, I agree. Cause if, you know, if you think about it back when we were younger, like I, people, the kids today laugh when you're like, you drank out of a hose. Like you didn't think twice, like you wouldn't come into the house and get a bottle of water. <laughs> Right. Like, or if we we're playing sports, you didn't have Gatorade waiting for you. Someone's <laughs> mother made like watery tang. And that was like, yeah. Tang. Was, oh my God. I forgot about tang. Oh. One of my really good friends forever. I think, I think if I went to her house now, her mom would still have some tang in the fridge. I don't know where she would buy it, but she would probably find a way to find tang. That's what she drank. And so we didn't have all of these sugary beverages and you didn't think about it. I remember I was watching, um, uh, I was listening to another health podcaster and she said, go on Google and just go to images and type family reunion. And she said, I want you to go back 20 years and look at what families look like 20 years ago. Go back 30 years and look at what families look like. And there was only, you know, the prevalence of obesity 20 years ago. Maybe there's a couple of people in your family, 30 years maybe one or two, 40 years, maybe, oh, interesting. maybe like one person. And as you talk about it, you know, you can kind of start to see the, you know, the overabundance of um, fast food, processed mm -hmm. foods, you know, easy to eat foods, as you were talking about that, you know, it was our generation that nine times out of 10, both, both parents worked. So it was easy to make the processed food for dinner because you had a long day. <laughs> and that last, is so true. I mean, the even the last thing you yeah. wanted to do was come home and make an hour's worth of dinner. Yeah. Even in countries like Japan, you know, that you can slowly see that change. Mm. Um, there used to be no obesity all, of, at all. And then you have like Western chains coming in and then you all of a sudden you see people with health problems and overweight. Um, but, you know, you just made me realize there's another thing that we grew up with that I think is really unique to our generation we were told we could have everything, you know, and our moms thought it was bad enough that their mothers were like, no, you're going to get married, or maybe you're going to become a school teacher or a nurse, right? right? They were limited in their career scope, but we were told, no, 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 you're not going to be like me and just get married. You're going to get married. You're going to have kids. You're going to have an amazing career. You're going to do everything. Right. And I'm remembering that Anjali commercial, I did a spoof of it on my Instagram Yes. You know, you can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan and then, you know, make love to somebody like crazy all night long. I mean, come on. <laughs> and, you know, And it's funny that you say that because as I think about it, a lot of my women, they get caught in the cycle of the Anjali that, you know, yeah. I can continue to work out two hours and I can, you know, make dinner and I can, you know, take care of my kids and drive them here, drive them there and, you know, be a supportive spouse. And the, like one of the Jenga blocks fall apart. They're like, they don't know what to do with themselves. They're like, oh, right. I right. suck. And they're like, we have this, you know, meaning of like, <laughs> if I can't do 4 million things, I suck. And as I, you know, try to scale back women, I'm like, you know what? Guess what? When I was like 30, I looked back some of the shit I did. And I am like, how? How? Oh, how? And, and now I'm like, you know what? Sometimes I'm like, ah. 
I got an extra, <laughs> I got an extra hour and I don't have to put anything in it. I'm just going to sit here. I'm Good gonna- for you. I'm so happy to do that. Yeah. And it's, but it's like old, you know, it took a long time, but old me would have been like, oh, okay, I'm going to call this person and do this and do that. It, it just, you know, I think those commercials did us in because we were like the, if our t- day wasn't scheduled every moment of the day. And I kind of feel like we're doing that to our kids right now. Cause you know, when yeah. you and I were kids, like I didn't have ac- afternoon activities. Like you came oh. home. You came home I didn't have any activities. Right. You, 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 you came either like you came home directly after school and then you went out or you hung out in the schoolyard for a little time and then you walked home and then you like dropped your crop off and then you went back outside. Yeah. And- I mean, I was, not, I was not from a privileged background, grew up working class. So I'm lucky I made it to school and back. But when I, when I was in kindergarten, I mean, when I was in high school, then or middle school too, I took it upon myself to join everything and make up for lost time. Right. Um, but, you know, and I was very active, but, you know, to your point about like having to schedule everything, what about scheduling our lives? Cause I remember being in New York in the nineties and having, you know, having lunch with a friend and most of my friends were on this like life schedule. They'd be like, Oh my God, I got to get married by 30. Oh. I have to be an editor by 28. Oh I have my to God. Do this. And it was like, they had this checklist when mm. and you look back at your twenties and you say, Oh my God, I wish I had just enjoyed my youth more. Oh my God. I, you know, it's so funny that you say that because I remember, you know, being in college and you would go on the interview and they'd be like, Kim, what's your five-year plan? And you're like, I don't know, maybe have a job. Like, you're like, I just, I like, I, oh, that always blew my mind. Yet I had girlfriends who are like, oh, you know, I want to have two kids by 32 and this and this and this and this. And I'm like, dang, I'm like, I'm just like, what's tomorrow going to bring? Like, oh, I'm so, I wish I had been that way. I think for me, I had to be very scrappy and, and really push myself because I didn't have any um, safety nets. There was nobody rescuing Marianne if I failed. Um, and I found that a lot of women like me were like that. And also the women who had um, parents breathing down their necks. That's yeah. the other type of woman that was very, but I did, I, I, you know, now what I know, what I know now at this age about resilience and mm. failure, well, that's the other thing. We weren't taught that failure was not only okay, but necessary. Oh, failure was fatal. <laughs> if you failed, like you might as well just throw yourself into the rope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and wait for a bus to come hit you. But you're right. I feel like you either had like the scrappiness of like, okay, I don't know what my five-year plan is, but I know in the moment I'm getting shit done. Right. But the, or you like, you know, cause I would I remember people would be like, Oh, by this year I want to be a director, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm happy where I am in my job, which is great. But I was also a stress ball. So like to think five years ahead would have just th- thrown me like into like utter like a probably, tizzy. <laughs> probably like a catastonic state. Like I just would have been like in, on some type of medication or in a padded room. I was like, I was oh, already, I like on my own in my head of like, it has to be perfect. So I just couldn't take on to that next level stuff. But you're absolutely right. Like I've so many, you know, women at our age are perfectionists, recovering perfectionists, or so afraid of failure that they always have to like go back and do the same thing because they know that the results are mm-hmm. even if the results. I are I'm a recovering. Want. I'm a recovering perfectionist, and 
I didn't realize till my probably mid forties, how detrimental that was to my mental health, to my life, just to my happiness and my joy and my ability to be present in a moment. You know, I mean, Mm. like, even now I have to really work hard to resist it. Like I, I post something and I'll be like looking for typos and feel so ashamed of myself if there's a freaking typo. And I have to say, Marianne, who cares? First of all, no one cares. Right. You know, it makes you more relatable if you do screw up and who cares? Like really at the bottom, at the end of the day, like who cares? You know, I mean, we all have to go easier on ourselves and on oh, other, God, people, yeah. other women, um, and I think once you learn how to embrace imperfection and failure and all that great, all that stuff, you're easier on yourself. You're easier on other people. Mm. You're, you're just all around, just a better person and more fun to be around. So a thousand, a thousand percent, you know, I, I think about my twenties and thirties were all about perfection. You know, it was like, I had to, you know, and I, I worked in events. So like, you couldn't really have a lot of screw ups and right. nine comes out of 10, the screw ups that did happen. I only, I, only I saw. Like if something didn't happen within 20 minutes of when it was supposed to happen, do you think anyone else knew, but me? No. But like, I was like, why isn't the, the uh, caviar being served right now? It's 20 minutes late. That there were, well, there is a real sense of timing with that occupation. So I feel for you, just like with journalism, we, I was always on a deadline, like a daily or a weekly deadline right. or a monthly but I will say, um, I say this a lot on, on on shows and stuff, but I remember walking into my kids' kindergarten class, my, my daughter's kindergarten classroom, and there was this huge sign and it said, let's make lots of mistakes this year. And I almost cried, Kim, when I saw that, cried this tears of like, why did anybody tell right. me that it was okay to me? <laughs> no, and, and, it's, it's, and it's like, it gets carried over from, you know, I have to have the perfect meal plan, the perfect workout. And so many of us get caught up in this all or nothing. Like if I have a typo, then the entire article is shit. And it could just be one word on page 900 <laughs> out of a thousand. Yeah. That the whole thing is crap. God help us. I swear, you know, if there's one thing I want women to take away from this conversation is to just let that go. Like, it, uh, let it, it go. Try new things. You don't have to be great at everything you do. Nothing has to be perfect. Enjoy your life. God knows how much time we have. Let's just enjoy and just experiment, explore, like tap into things, sides of ourselves we didn't know that we had and that we were too afraid to try because we weren't going to be good at it maybe. Yeah. And I, 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 um, I don't know if you know who um, Brooke, Castillo, Brooke Castillo is, Castillo. The name is very familiar. She um she runs the life coach school. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she um as I was breaking free of my perfectionism, she said this and it just was like a coconut, actually more like a bowling ball fell on my head. She said, Stop going for the A plus and go for the B minus. And as soon as she said that, I was like, She goes, Who's who's grading you? Like, is there anyone, she goes, some rando on the internet who found the typo on page 900? Really? She read it. <laughs> you know, you burn out much more quickly when you you're striving for that kind of detailed perfectionism. Um, I was just like thinking uh, the other day of two people I know doing kind of roughly the same thing. I won't say what fields they're in because then they would know if they hear this, but <laughs> two people doing <laughs> the same thing. 
And noticing that one's doing it, like you said, like almost like a B plus, but getting the stuff out there, having yeah. fun with it, exploring, just like releasing it into the world. And the other person's like holding back because it's not perfect. And this, the other person is going is is getting getting somewhere further. And I really believe that's why. Right. And you know, I when I first started in this industry, I was the same way, you know, because I was a perfectionist. And I remember my coach is like, she goes ugly wins like ugly still like ugly is still out there she's like is you know because like you didn't have the perfect aesthetic is the information less valuable like, yeah no like say kim that i get confused sometimes because then i see these like in these influencers with the perfect they do the perfect meals and the perfect they're very popular so i don't know there's like a part of maybe it's our generation there's a part of us that wants to see that yet there's a part of us that is annoyed by it is that like hate following or something like, it, is I don't hate, know. it is hate following because I, I i remember when i first started in this industry and um i was working with a coach and she's like you know kim you're doing more video now i think you should put on some makeup before you go oh, live no she didn't so she did and i was like huh. are you yeah. still friends with her <laughs> no i well, i still we still have a friendly relationship but i was like after that i was like mm, i'm probably not gonna renew with you um but then I thought to myself, I remember there was this this guy um, that I followed when I first started. He was a huge fitness person. And I remember I got to see him speak. And I was oh, so excited. So I go to see him speak. And you know how you have a picture next to the person, what they're going to speak. Yeah, I go yeah. to see him speak. And I was like, that's him? It was a picture from like 20 years earlier. Um, yeah. And I was like, you know what? I never want anyone who like, in my mind, I'm like, when I blow up, I never want anyone <laughs> to see a picture of me and then see me in real life and be like, Ooh, is that her? Like, I never like, and I was like, I always want to be real. And I was like, if you met me on the street, nine times out of 10, I'm not going to have makeup on. I might have some lipstick on, might've done my brows, but that's about it. <laughs> I love that about you. I love that. And so I just was like, I, that was like such a lasting in, image because I just remember seeing like this guy that I thought like, I mean, his stuff was still valuable. I'm like, no one on your team told you you needed to take a new picture. That yeah, that's, that's a little nutty. I, I will say, you know, like, I think if you're going to do that, if you're going to ever do the makeup or not you, but you in collective right. or the fashion or the hair, do it because you love it. Don't do it because yeah. someone's telling you to do like I I love I'm very creative and I love fashion I love makeup I love I have fun with it when I feel like doing it but other days you know what I don't feel like doing it. and if you go on my Instagram I have I have pictures of myself with absolutely no makeup I have pictures with makeup I you know what when the mood strikes me I'm 54 I can do whatever the hell I want that's the way I look at it yeah and I, I look at it like you know sometimes I'm like you know I'm inspired in the moment and I'm like wait do I have a bra on okay let's go and, 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 and that's all I'm like no one really should need to see see all of Kim <laughs> and then I take it from there but it, it's I feel like nowadays like we were told you know getting back to our original subject this is what we were told like you were to wear this you know these clothes or the brands right it was like you went to the mall and you dress from this particular designer or you went to this store, you were always like, if you didn't get it from like the limited or Ann Taylor, or it was, you know, crap, if you didn't buy it from there. And we were told this is what fashion was. And this is how you were to look like a woman. And nowadays it's like, it's, 
you know, we've all moved away from that and said, kind of like, hey, I'm comfortable. Yeah. Well, I do remember like bat reporting in the 90s in fashion. And I remember that when Sharon Stone wore, she wore like this, I think it was a Carolina Herrera ball skirt with a Gap t-shirt, a $5 yes. Gap t-shirt. And that was kind of a turning point for me because I realized that fashion shouldn't be about labels. It's about how you wear something and you can wear anything. You can wear something from a vintage store. You can wear something from your father's closet. You can wear, just put, it's the way you put it together and make it your own. That's what I love about fashion. Yeah. And I think that was kind of like the turning point of like, so I can match like a thousand dollar thing with something I got for 10. Yeah. I love that. I do that now. All the, I do that all the time. I was wearing a, a $20 target skirt the other day with a, with a like an expensive pair of more expensive pair of shoes. And right. I was like, I this. Why not? <laughs> right. Because it's like sometimes you're just, you know, in fast fashion, sometimes it gets, a, you know, its own um, uh, headline. Yeah, we shouldn't buy, we should not buy much fast fashion. I will agree with you. But every once in a while, I have to admit, I see something really cute in Target, but I only yeah. buy it if I know I'm going to keep it. Right. But it's like, you know, something sometimes is like a little cute and you're like, oh, I need to have that. And you, it's not like every day you're going out, you have to, it's not the stores from the 80s where like you knew the outfit was barely got to make at the evening because it was so cheaply made. Well, I have to say, Kim, too, like I have to indulge in something because all of, some of my biggest pleasures in life are now gone. Like the September issues of magazines. Yes. The thin, I used the double. Yes. Oh. I used to have so much fun buying those in September and March and they're gone. And just little things like that. Like I, you know, I got to hold on to something, you know, or even catalogs. Like I remember like, Every like five minutes, I would get a catalog from like Pottery Barn or Restoration Hardware. Restoration Hardware still doesn't even send out their thick kind of like Bible of it. And so like, you know, we could spend hours, like a half a Sunday, like perusing all of those pages with bookmarking things that you told yourself you were going to buy someday. I know. Well, I have something funny. So in like around 97, 98, I was at this uh, trade show, a fashion trade show, and some company, uh, a research company showed us the store of the future. And, you know, the internet was so new right. and they had this like storefront um, and it was like, so, I mean the, oh gosh, it looked so bad. Like it was just so grainy and the store was literally like a sketch of a store and the people were like robotic and we were going, ah, this is never again, online retailing. This is never going to catch oh, on. Oh God. Yeah. I worked for, at the time I worked for like a, a research company at the, in their, let's say mid nineties. And this is right as the internet really started to take off. And I remember they predicted that people would not want to go to stores anymore for certain things. And at this point, like Amazon, people were buying books and like, you know, you're buying like concert tickets, like low, low volume stuff, not like, hey, I'm going to buy a new couch. And they're like, yeah, we think it's going to take off. And all the retailers are like, like, you don't know. And now all the retailers are like, how do we figure this out? We are really scared here in San Francisco because our downtown um, looks desolate. You yeah. probably heard the news. I mean, the rest of the city is still beautiful, but our downtown is just all the stores have, are closing up. The, the one big mall is just uh, announced that it is selling and Nordstrom left and Anthropology oh, wow. left and old Na the huge Old Navy left. I mean, it's just so the bad. The downtown happened. was huge. Yep. It's not pretty. And everyone here is very frustrated because there's nowhere to, to really go 
buy something if you need it, you know? Right. You got to like get in your car. My, um, my husband works for Salesforce and you know, they built that giant tower. So that thing, he, Oh boy, that thing is quite the image down when you're driving down California street. (laughs) And it's, it's I don't want to tell you what we call that building. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure everyone has a name for it. You know, I think everyone who like went, when you kind of remember what the skyline looked like and then anytime anyone puts in a new building that was never there before, you're like, do we need that? You know, what's going on here? And it's it's funny because like whenever he go, like when he first joined the company and they make a a big thing about going to where they started. And it was like this little like dinky building, like right across the street from giant stadium. And they were just like, you know, from that little to this, (laughs) incredible yeah yeah so it's interesting to see how they still hold on to the roots but at the same time they're like we need a tower yeah everybody needs a tower huh everybody needs a tower <laughs> so this has been really this has been really great we've taken a lot of like journeys through here you know we've talked about you know what was shaped things that we can kind of start to think about moving forward right and i love kind of i just want to you know the goal is to plant the seed and you know what what do you think is your takeaway, right? As you're as for you the listener, like what is your takeaway of like what did you learn in the nineties and what are you still holding on to that maybe you didn't think about? And what do you have you shifted from moving forward so that you can be like, you know what, I don't want to live that life anymore. How do I, you know, break free of that life and not be the uh be more of the Calgon commercial and That's right. Less- Less of the Anjou Lee commercial. And I'm going to write myself a note and tag, uh, put that in because um, my VA, Liana, I know you're listening to this. And I'm like, I'm going to ask, I want you to email me if you know any of those references. Because both you probably be like, I don't know what those references are. So I will put the links in the uh, show notes. But this has been really good. So for you, so as you were kind of in this industry, you wrote your your podcast, the more beautiful, pro- uh, uh, the more beautiful uh, project. Is this kind of stemming from all that you saw in the, you know, fashion industry back in the day? Yeah. So the podcast is the more beautiful podcast. Um, the project and the website, more beautiful project, because I didn't want it to limit myself to just the the podcast. I'm I'm working on a book and I'm. There's some other things I'm aspiring to do with the whole project down the road. But um, yeah, it started with um, my newsletter and the podcast because I had turned, well, I was in my 50s already. This is a couple of years ago and uh, late, late 2021. And I was looking around me and I was noticing all the women in my life, all my friends and you know family members who had hit that midlife point were feeling like, is this it? Like, am I invisible now? Is society telling me I'm irrelevant? Is there anything to look forward to? I'm dealing with ageism at work. I'm dealing with my body. I don't know my body anymore. I know that's what you specialize in, like getting to the nitty gritty of why our bodies are changing and we don't feel like we have control anymore. And I thought, wait a second, like, you know, when I was, as I was researching all this, I was realizing everybody was telling us what we're getting less of as we get older. We're getting less uh, estrogen, less sex drive, less job opportunity. Our kids are leaving. So we have less time with them. It was like less, less, less. And I was like, "Uh uh-uh, I think we have more. We have more of so many things. We have more experience. We have more freedom as our kids Mm -hmm. get older. We have more perspective. We have more, just so much more of so many things that we're not really addressing or embracing or talking about. So 
that's what I want more beautiful to be this idea that life gets more fulfilling if we choose that. And here's how we're going to get it. We're going to form this community and try to figure it out together because how are we going to live the second half of our lives in this vacuum of eh, games over? I have nothing left. Like that's just not healthy. It's not, it's not accurate, you know, because yeah. the pay, the patriarchy that point painted this picture for us. And now we have to take that back and we have to reframe our second half of life. A thousand percent. And I feel like, you know, people like you and other people that I've started to follow in this space, we're all just feel the same way. We're just like, you know, I learned a lot. <laughs> and now hopefully I can take all the stuff that I learned and apply it moving forward to my life. Absolutely. Good. And so before I close out every podcast, I always ask people, what's one thing that makes you feel magical? Well, so many things do, but I think right now in the stage of my life, one thing I'm realizing is that being creative, like being in the flow of something mm. is something that really makes me feel like I, I didn't, I knew I enjoyed writing. I knew I enjoyed running, but I didn't really quite pinpoint what it is about those activities. And now that I'm embracing Ikebana, which is the Japanese art of flower oh, yeah, yeah. and I'm doing some dance and I'm doing, you know, some more creative writing, I'm realizing like when I'm doing that stuff, man, like a lot of women, I am lost in the moment. I probably have a smile on my face. I'm not even aware of time just flies. And I feel like life is just great. And it rejuvenates me and it gives me this like new zest for life. So I, you know, I would encourage everybody out there to just tap into your creativity. We are all creative beings. Even if you think you're not, you are. Even if you're an accountant, you, I trust me, you have a creative side. <clears throat> and it's so important to tap into that, especially as we get older. Yeah, for, absolutely. For sure. Because it also keeps your mind sharp, like try, by learning something that you haven't done before and helps you slow down. Um that I, where can people follow you on the socials? Oh, okay. I'm on Instagram at more beautiful project. And you can also find me on my website, morebeautifulproject.com. And you can access the podcast from the website and you can access the podcast from basically any, wherever you listen to podcasts. So, yeah. And, and have a listen. Like she said, some really interesting guests and just some really like interesting, just off the like, topics that a lot of us, I think just need to press pause for a second and think about how I want the second half of my life to be. Right. Cause it's, I think of this as like that halftime moment and, you know, maybe you're down and maybe you're like, how do we regroup and we get ahead moving into the second half of our lives? Because I know that the crazy I felt in the beginning in my twenties and thirties, I have no need for. You know what? It's okay to feel crazy. We're, we all feel crazy from time to time. But I also think with the crazy comes a lot of personal growth. Yeah. Transformation. Exactly. And just you got to realize that sometimes the crazy brings something really good with it. Yeah. I From all of my crazy in my 20s, I definitely learned the things that I need to just let fall away. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the things that I want to now replace or just be like you know what it's okay to just sit down for an hour i love that i'm gonna do that today thanks to you <laughs> you're, wel you're welcome all right this has been so awesome thank you so much for your time marianne and you thank guys you make, me. make sure you follow her because like i said when i first saw first read the midlife thing i was triggered and then i just went down a rabbit hole and it was like <laughs> a black hole of awesomeness so 
<laughs> Thank you again. And Magic Makers, make sure you follow her. She has some great stuff. Some of her podcasts are really, really good. All right. Thanks, Kim. Thank you for listening to the Fit Girl Magic Podcast. If you've made it this far, yay. I'm thinking you enjoyed the show. Let's continue the conversation on Instagram. You can find me at Kim Jefferson Coach. In order for me to keep sharing this message, do me a favor and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. New episodes are available every Wednesday. The Fit Girl Magic Podcast is intended to provide you with tips, tools, and strategies that will help you make better decisions about your health. I really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much.